0: Welcome to Track FM's local watering hole. I am just one of your hosts here, Matthew Rushing, and this week I... Christy, are you there? Can... are you... Hello? I didn't... yeah. Oh, wait. So, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, uh, time just seemed to stop for a moment, and I, I, I didn't know if you were there or not, and I didn't know if you were just frozen on Zoom or frozen in time.
1: Yeah, no, I got caught in one of those time freezes and thrown up in the air and lost my wings somewhere. Oh,
0: man, that's the worst. Humans are the worst, right? Mm-hmm. <sighs> you got well, that right, Diggums. <laughs> oh, man. Well, today we're going to talk about uh, something that has come out that's new. Uh, it was supposed to come out in theaters, and then, of course, it passed its release date, and Disney decided to put it on its streaming service, Disney+. And so we're going to talk about Artemis Fowl tonight. And so uh, I am excited, though. Uh, it was kind of nice just to watch something that I've never seen before. <laughs> it's yeah, been, same here. Yeah, it's been a while since we've done that. So... Uh, well, before we dive into uh, talking about the movie, of course, people can find us wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're over on Apple Podcasts, uh, please do give us a star rating review. Help people find the show. Uh, it's definitely uh, the the best way to help out a podcast is give them a, a review or show us on social media. You can find us at Trek FM or on Facebook at facebook.com slash Trek FM. You can also find us online at track FM where we have a contact section and you can send uh any uh thoughts to Christy and I that way if you'd like to give us shoot us an email. Uh and especially in this time when movies, you know, keep getting pushed back and stuff, maybe there's something you'd like to have us talk about. So, you know, we'd love to hear from you and, and see what uh is uh you know what are the things that you're watching what are the things that maybe we haven't ever talked about on the show uh so that would be really fun um, so Christy, I was really interested in this because before today, as of the recording, I had never read the book series and I only knew about Artemis Fowl because I, I worked at a Barnes and Noble, I ran the kids department. I was very familiar with Arm, uh, Artemis Fowl books because, you know, uh, they were, were very popular. I think they've sold like over 9 million copies, you know, so mm-hmm. it's a very popular series for kids and so, uh, I just wondered it, what your familiarity, if you had ever read the books at all, um, and if you, like, when this was coming out, this is something that uh, you were excited about at all.
1: That's the weird thing. I actually didn't hear anything about the series um, and whatnot until I actually saw that the film was coming out on Disney+. Plus. So, I don't know how I didn't hear about it, because I used to visit Barnes & Noble all the time, actually. But uh, yeah, I missed it somehow. So I saw it come up on Disney Plus and thought, huh, that seems interesting. And I read the premise um, and actually sat down and watched it. So, uh, you know, I have not read the books. And this is my first time seeing the story at all.
0: Yeah, that's, yeah, that's really interesting. You know, and I think, you know, sometimes... You know, you kind of get into a group and you, you, you just feel like everybody knows something, you know. Mm-hmm. So I just assumed that everybody kind of knew the story, not the story, but just the, about the book series itself. Um, but, you know, I, it's one of those things where, you know, unless you were, you probably grew up in a certain generation you know um you it, it it's just a book series that you might have missed cuz it might not have been as popular at the time you know when you're a kid so mm-hmm. um and and then too um you know i mean it this was easy to miss uh, the the trailers were playing in theaters a little bit the last time i went to the theater which i think the last time that happened might have been onward and so i think yeah. i saw the artemis fowl trailer then but um you know, and then, of course, this whole pandemic thing happens and and, and they, uh, you know, they decide to just put it on on Disney Plus. Uh, and and th- in fact, you know, what's interesting. I thought was they didn't even go with the direct to home video basically route of, you know, you could pay like maybe $19. You know what they do with some right. of the movies like that. I was kind of surprised that they didn't even do that.
1: Yeah, I actually was as well, because I just thought immediately, you have a budget to keep up. So how are you going to make your money back on that and turn any kind of profit if you're not doing something like that? You know, since you can't do a theater release, but here we are.
0: Yeah, I wonder if, you know, the thought process was that, is it helps with subscriptions for Disney Plus, right? You know, Mm -hmm. um, we put You know, we continue to put new content on there, especially as we're going through this pandemic and more and more people continue to subscribe. So I'm wondering if that was their thought um, so they can make some of the money back that way. And I'm sure, you know, they'll they'll put it on, you know, home video release in the sense of like you could buy it on Blu-ray or 4K and whatnot when when they do. But um, Mm -hmm. yeah, we you know, I think some of the answers might come as we just talk about through the movie is maybe why they didn't go that direction, because um, I do think there are some clues that I get through watching the movie as to why they might not have, have gone that route. Um, But it's, it's really interesting because this movie itself had a really long development. Like it, it kind of languishes around in development hell for a really long time. I mean, all the way back to 2001, this long development starts with this plans announced to adapt the series. Um, Colfer, who, uh, is, is the author actually started on the screenplay, but even he's kind of skeptical that it might happen. And that Mm -hmm. was in 2003. Um, then it's not till, uh, 2013 that Walt Disney pictures picks it up and they're going to, they said they were going to be covering the, the events of the first and the second books together. Um, and then it's not really till 2015 where Kenneth Braun is actually hired to direct this. And then that's in conjunction with, uh, you know, the the Weinstein company. And, of course, that goes pretty badly in the sense that once the film is going to be released, you know, Disney terminates its production with them because of everything that happens with Harvey Weinstein and also mm-hmm. like this movie has just had a really hard time getting to the theater in the first place, and it never gets there. (laughs) Like, its development never allows it to actually get into the theater. (laughs) Which, I mean, I'm sure, as you know, if any
1: history of screenplays in general, there are so many that just end up either in development hell like this, or just never even get to development. So, I mean, it's lucky it got as far as it did. But I do think it's kind of sad that it goes this route with the success that the books saw
0: yeah and that's that's really interesting and and, you know um since you haven't read the books and i've only read the first one i mean i can say that there is a significant change in like the tone of the story and Mm -hmm. the type of story they tell Um, You know, the the, um, and and the author himself has said that he supports the changes from the source material, but I, you know, having read the first book and watched the movie, I, I understand why I've seen, I did some like, you know, reading and and stuff of, you know, what fans have thought of this Mm -hmm. and most of them are very unhappy with the the way in which the storyline has been changed. Um and, and also um just some of the choices they made even with some of the casting. Mm-hmm. Uh and uh yeah, I mean they really do change the tone and and so, you know, the the setup for the book series is that Artemis Fowl comes from a a, a long history of of uh, his family being, you know, uh criminal geniuses, criminal masterminds. Mm-hmm. And that's what he is as well. And and like he's twelve, but he's basically, you know, Moriarty and Sherlock Holmes wrapped into one. Mm-hmm. Um he's that smart. Uh and so, you know, the movie itself really it plays this much more and, and I would say this I can understand why people who've read the book series are kind of upset because like a lot of things that Disney did, has done, is it really Disneyified the story where it it makes things much more um, it makes things less morally ambiguous because in the book, he's pretty morally ambiguous as a character. Artemis Fowl, this twelve-year-old, mm-hmm. like, because um, he is literally a criminal mastermind who, you know, is he is trying to actually extort money from the fairies. That's why he captures Holly. Um, whereas, of course, you know, um, the, the 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 story they concoct for the movie makes things seem um, much more palatable to the fact that he's actually has an altruistic reason for doing this. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that really changes things. And I think I can understand then after all of this development, why fans would see this and and not quite be as happy and, and and be frustrated in many ways, the same way that lots of books get adapted, you know, and fans are just like, if you had just stuck to the source material.
1: Yeah. I actually read that in the, you know, different comments that, other viewers had made about the movie that it went that route. And I was surprised to see that the original storyline dealt with his family fortune instead of this more G rated plot line. Um, so I totally understand that what you're saying is the Disney version of it. And that for me also, it was clear that no one was ever in really any mortal danger. I think that the stakes aren't high enough throughout the movie version of the story for you to worry about anybody, because I mean, even the one character that we almost lose um, Dom gets revived by Holly short. So you're like, right. okay, well you immediately ruined any kind of weight you had to that moment. And then he gets his father back and then, everything's tied up in a nice little bow.
0: Right. Well, and what's fascinating, too, about the book is that's actually much more of a surprise in the book because at that point, the character of Holly kind of hates Artemis mm-hmm. because they've been playing this back and forth game of trying to outsmart one another in the fact that, you know, he's captured her and everything. And so they're there... Again, that comes as much more of a shock to see her make that turn to try and start helping them instead of uh, you know be on the other side, and so, and part of that is because you know Artemis has been you know a, a criminal mastermind, and also what's fascinating too is in the book, his his um his mom is still alive, mm-hmm. and it's uh and and she has um mentally been deteriorating ever since her husband disappeared and it's been like over a year and it just keeps getting worse and worse as she kind of tumbles farther and farther into depression um and so uh to spoil it if I'm sorry if you haven't read the book but uh for anyone who's listening but uh the end of the story you get the sense that Artemis has not only um been doing this for fortune but there seems to be no way to help his mother, and in the end, you get the sense that that he gives back some of the money for Holly with Holly, um, and she heals his mother with magic. Okay, and so like it's not just been about the money mm-hmm. in the end, but it's much more subtle. I mean, just everything's that that whole part of the, the story is very subtle in the book, but it's really great. So, again, completely un- can understand why, you know, people would be disappointed. And I, after reading the book, I, I I can't help but feel that myself, is that I do think Disney m- missteps with the movie by not allowing the source material to just speak for itself because this, this the storyline, too, is actually perfectly made to make a series of movies in. It's very episodic, and except, except that it's also going to, you know, connect and um, you know in many ways it kind of feels like a, a James Bond type of thing with kids and so that's always fun so yeah it's, right. it's just fascinating to me um, that they make that choice and so um, now one of the things that you know just watching the movie and, and from this point on we'll, we'll just be talking specifically about the movie um, and what it gives us but I always enjoy stories where fairy tales are true you know and it's kind of like hidden and 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 so uh how did you feel like uh that they did with the world building in the movie here um as uh, you know especially since you're not familiar with the book at all and i wasn't when i was watching the movie either so i'm i was going in completely blind
1: I think that the initial premise and um, start of the movie was really interesting, especially since I already love fantasy stories. And like you were saying that the telling of, oh, uh, all of the things that you thought were just fairy tales in the past are actually true. I like that idea. I was already hooked in to watch it because of that, but I feel like they kind of falter a little bit with pulling off how they get there um because it starts out as feeling like it's this family story and it's going to be maybe kind of a men in black almost situation but with a kid or a heist or something and then suddenly we're underground and seeing all of the fairy world and they tell you why it should make sense but it's all um in the dialogue, it's not as much showing you the literal connections of why they're so interconnected, I guess is what I'm trying to say.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's, that's, I, I, I think the movie does a decent job at the beginning. Like you're saying, like, I, I feel like that's, uh, I, I, it, it did a pretty decent job of pulling me in, you know, with having, uh, you know, uh, Josh Gad's character, you know kind of uh set out the story for us, you know, Diggum's, you know, giving giving the story to you. Um I mm-hmm. thought that was kind of fun. Um, you know, and I think uh one of the things that that I noticed throughout the movie is that it just all seems to go by really quickly. This is a movie that's only an hour and a half. And so I think one of the things that I realized about the movie is that I felt like we needed another 30 minutes of the movie so you could really help expand and explain a lot of the things that we're seeing. You know, I, I think, you know, they they kind of rush past so much stuff um, where I'm not you know if i'm just being dumped in this world and i have not read the book you know i don't know what the the, the these police officers are really right. that much other than my understanding of like just the general idea of police in my mind um the, the the connections of that with the the fairy world with the world above you know of the human world and all of that and um Yeah, I feel like you know that the world building itself. You know, when you're you're throwing somebody into a new story and a new world with all of its own rules, you need to be able to spend more time to set that up. Yes, and to allow people to feel comfortable. And I never. I mean, I—it's not like I never un, didn't understand anything that was going on, mm-hmm. but I don't always completely feel comfortable in even just the rules of the world and how it all works. Because you know, unlike a book where the author can stop and explain something to you, the movie just keeps going. Right?
1: Yeah. I mean, I. Case in point right there, when you mention rules, I immediately think of them talking about the fairy rules and how he has to invite them in, like vampires or something. And uh, they never explain why there are rules, what the rules are, other than apparently you have to invite them and state what the rules are, maybe. It's very unclear. And then they don't really explain why the tree matters. You know, other than, oh, well, that's where the fairy would, that came up to the surface would often go. It seems like they're mm-hmm. trying to show that the tree itself is sort of interconnected with the fairy world as well by underground. Mm-hmm. But they never really explain that.
0: Yeah, you're no, you're absolutely right. And, and honestly, um, your confusion makes complete sense. I mean, now that I've read the first book... It mm-hmm. makes a lot more sense because he explains all that. You know, right. like that's a part of the story. The tree is specifically a part of the story, um, uh, or what for, the ocula is actually for. Right, exactly. Which spoiler alert is not part of the first book whatsoever. So, <laughs> and I don't know if it's a part of the rest of the series at all because I haven't read it yet. But yeah. um, so I'm only speaking from from that experience of read having read the first book. But no, absolutely like that's a great example, Chrissy of just like where they just don't explain the rules like you're talking mm-hmm. about these rules of, of of fairies and and where they can enter and how they can enter a human residence and what that all means and the why of that is is not not explained at all and um unfortunately too, they don't really explain it um in the way like. That whole scene at the beginning where she's taking down the troll mm-hmm. is a big part where you, you first start to learn about the fairy rules in the book and where they come from, but they don't do that in the movie. And so then they start spouting these rules at you as if you're supposed to know them. Right. Which again, if you've read the book, you'd know. But for those of us that haven't, we're going, oh, there's right, a time exactly, freeze. Exactly. <laughs> Which, you know, I, you know, having walked through on Owlpost with, with Drea, most of Harry Potter now, there are plenty of times when I have complained about the, the movies, and I even I did that on the episodes here we did in the 602 clip with Harry Potter. It's like that there are many times the movies took for granted that everybody watching them had read the book, mm-hmm. and it's like, that doesn't really make sense as a movie yeah. if you haven't read the story. You know, um, and I think this is one of the places where uh, I came into it not having read the source material. I don't have really a connection with the source material. And so for the world building, especially when you're throwing in this mythology and and using all those things, it's like you really need to set what your rules of of your version of mythology are. And again, Colfer in his books really does a great job of, of explaining a lot of that. But the movie, it almost felt like the movie needed, like, maybe a prologue too, to help with the world building, you know? Like, Mm -hmm. almost Lord of the Rings style prologue, just to help us be introduced to the world.
1: Yeah, well, and it makes you care more than when they do introduce the rules, because you're even thinking to yourself, okay, well, if the fairies do enter the home without being invited, or they do kill him to then get in, what happens to them? So there's just kind of these open questions that they don't answer in the film that make you not care as much about
0: what's going on in the scene. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I mean, if I if I don't understand the rules as, as a, a watcher of a film, then I'm a- absolutely not going to care as much because it's like, if the story doesn't feel like it's important enough for me to understand the world building, then why should I care? Right. Like, why do you continue on the journey with the benefit well, of a doubt? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's, I mean, that's an excellent point, you know, and I think... It's not just movies that are are you know made from uh you know a, a previous source. You know I think you know there are just movies in general that do that where they don't give you enough of understanding of the world that you're watching to care enough. You know it's like mm-hmm. you don't take yourself enough seriously. Uh I'm I mean as a watcher I can't take you seriously. Absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's really interesting. Now, I, I will say um, for Dia Shaw, who plays Artemis Val the second, I I really enjoyed the kid. I thought that they did a good job with the casting of, of Artemis. I thought that he was uh, just likable enough, but at the same time, he has the arrogance of a 12 year old who knows everything and really is the smartest person in the room almost every single time. And so there's a fine line you have to walk with that. And I thought that he did a pretty good job. Um, and I, I felt bad for him after having read the book because I just feel like the characterization there is is slightly more interesting for him because I think the one thing that they really do here in many ways is it does feel kind of cliched. His storyline of this, this connection with the father, you mm-hmm. know, and, and, like, really... And not that I don't dislike that. I always enjoy a good, like, father-son story, but I felt like they were playing too heavily on that cliche and not giving us enough emotion to be invested in it, and therefore, you know, I like the, the kid is the actor here, as Artemis, but it never transcends beyond that kind of like, I would have to say like that kitschy level, you know, like he never gets to, 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 to play more. I mean, the, the parts I like the most of him are when he's truly coming into his own about being this criminal mastermind, you know, and, and formulating these plans and all that. That's the stuff that I think he really excelled at. And Mm -hmm. if they had stuck to the story of the book, he would have gotten to do that the whole time, honestly.
1: I wish that we had gotten then the Artemis that you saw in the book because I, I don't think at all that it has anything to do with uh, the actor for Shaw. I think that it was completely with the screenplay writing, um, and possibly even Branagh's direction because to me, it felt so easy for him. I think that the character in general as portrayed in the movie seems like he is all powerful and that he just is never in any danger. Like I said before, and that he knows everything and that he doesn't have any kind of real, um, nemesis. They tell you who his nemesis is supposed to be, but they never really fight it out or anything. And, you know, I mean the one dangerous situation he was in with the, um, troll, um, It didn't really feel like a big deal for Artemis, at least anyway, to me. Um, And so it all of that combined made me not enjoy him as much, even though I know he's kind of designed as an antihero anyway. I just feel like they tell you over and over in the dialogue that he's a criminal mastermind, but I'm not seeing that. And I'm not seeing what supposedly makes him so smart other than him thinking he's smart, which seems like he's just a jerk. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I think that's that's so interesting because you know I got the feeling like in the movie they're basically trying to make him uh, Sherlock Holmes, mm-hmm. you know, in many ways. Uh, and and yes, I think you know the problem here is that we saddled him with this this story to which he is he has the uh criminal like mastermind idea thrust upon him you know throughout the movie in the sense that he has to become that instead of just starting him being that right you know which is what the book does which i think is is really smart and then you begin to unpack that and 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 you you kind of see that there are different layers to this kid and and we just never really get those layers at all here in the movie and i think like i i enjoy the the, the casting um but again i i think you're absolutely right it's just we don't we also are, are flying through the movie and so we don't really get to stop and spend time with any of the characters enough to truly feel like we're 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 getting a moment with them you know that really matters mm-hmm. it's like we we it just keeps hopping and and we just don't get that chance you know so yeah
1: and you're definitely right too about his relationship with his father I think that they do In the few scenes that you see of them interacting together, they're trying to give you that feeling that the two of them are very connected emotionally, since he doesn't have his mom or, you know, the father doesn't have his wife anymore. But they do lean too much, even in those few scenes, into the classic cliche of, my dad's never around. And so it's just kid is annoyed with his dad and dad feels guilty but feels like he can't change his ways because he has a responsibility and that's all you get and so that also kind of makes you feel sad that you're not getting more
0: yeah yeah um i think you're absolutely right so um you know i it's interesting because i really enjoyed um laura mcdonald uh as uh she, you know, she put, does a good job, I think, with the, the Holly character. And, um, I think her playing Holly short is really fun. And, but again, one of the things that's really interesting, uh, is that, uh, Holly in the book is, is described as, uh, somebody that has, um, it's really interesting. She's designed as, as having, uh, nut brown skin with, uh with you know um auburn hair. So which is I mean, not at all that. this actress. Right. You could you can you can obviously you know, obviously nuts are a variety of different color, you know? So But they said but it does brown say dark nut brown. All right. <laughs> so you get the feeling like um you know she's she's probably somebody who who's, you know, black. Honestly, mm-hmm. you know, or uh, Hispanic or Native American or, or, or something. Exactly, um, Puerto Rican. You know, yeah. almost. Or, you know, any any of uh, those 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 wonderful. Like, yeah, just. Be, and so, I was really interested that they went this route. And again, I don't dislike uh, the character here, um, but another thing that they add to the story is this this storyline for her father having been somebody who was on the police force and is seen as a traitor. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she's saddled with that storyline of having to prove herself on the force, but her dad, you know, and like, that's completely different in the book too, because actually in the book, she's, she's the first female police officer for fairies. Like she's huh. a test case, so which is really interesting. Um, and so, uh, And that's a whole other, I mean, it could have been a whole other issue if they had gone that direction with the movie. So it's just fascinating to me uh, that that with the casting with her and again, I think it's, it's more interesting to me to allow her to have her own storyline instead of here I feel like in the movie they kind of saddle her with a cliche storyline that doesn't allow it to be as much about her mm-hmm. as it is about something else somebody did that's affecting her right yeah. um and so i i think that's that's kind of a mistake regardless of just the the casting choice you know um which i think she did really she was she was good in in the role Mm -hmm. But it just doesn't feel like the storyline is, is all that it could have been for her if they had not given her that storyline.
1: Right. Like it's just about everyone else around her and not truly her in control of her own destiny kind of situation. It's just trying to clear her father's name and get
0: the Oculus back. So yeah, I agree. I wish she had gotten more. Me too. Me too. And, um, and I think this is another thing that I was, it's like, so they they chose with Josh Gad's character to have him portray the dwarf as a Dwarfus Galacticus, which is just a really large dwarf. Wait, was it Giganticus? Giganticus, whatever. Uh, Galacticus, <laughs> he's Giganticus. He's a galactic you know. dwarf. <laughs> yeah, he's a galactic dwarf. Um, my bad. Uh, it's okay. But so... That's again. That's not something that's a part of the book at all. He's just a normal oh, really? dwarf. Yeah, he's mm-hmm. he's larger than a normal sized dwarf, um, and and honestly, that part just kind of annoyed me in the movie. And um, otherwise, you know, his character was okay, but everything else about him is is normal in the book in the sense of like that dwarves can can do that thing where they can unhinge their jaw and they can, but mm-hmm. just the whole uh, all of that was just. Uh, reading it is one thing, but actually seeing that happen was just really creepy and disturbing on all levels. Well, so and before we even get to that part,
1: I was going to ask if you noticed he changed his voice.
0: Yeah, that he lowered the register of his voice so that he had that kind of mm-hmm. that really husky like sound, which I thought worked much, but I'm glad he did. I think it, oh. it helped with the. To me, I thought it would helped with the characterization because I wouldn't have bought it as much if he was just like... Basically, Olaf.
1: Right, and like I've recognized why he did it, but I think that if they wanted it to go that route, maybe they should have just made a different casting choice. Sorry, I love Josh Gad, but it sounded too unnatural to me. Like I mm. could tell all the time that it would be like me coming in and going,
0: "Yeah, I'm Mulch Diggums." So you didn't like his basically Batman voice? No. <laughs> <laughs> Where's the trigger? Where right. is it? <laughs> Holy. <laughs> I can see what you're saying. I can see yeah. what you're saying. And, and and honestly, you know, they there's a lot of people they could have chosen to play this role. Christian and, Bale. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I just, I agree with you. Um, I just... Uh, yeah. I don't know. The, the character's fine, and and they make a much bigger deal of him again in the movie than they than he is in the book. Mm-hmm. And so, again, I keep referring to that, but it's hard not to because I, I wanted to have some context. But even as the movie, like his character, because they they inter they start the movie with him telling the story, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and make him so kind of key to this. I think they overemphasize his character to the point where it's like he doesn't really ever um, pay off in the way that you would want him to, to have that big of a role. Like, yeah. there's a reason in the book he has a smaller role. And I don't think here in the movie it really legitimizes. And the only reason it is is because they cast Josh Gad. That's yeah. why he has a bigger role. Not because of the story.
1: No, I I agree. I think it's because they liked his performance in Beauty and the Beast and in Frozen and Frozen 2 that they wanted him to be a big part of another Disney movie and that that's why he his character had so much of a role in this film. But I think that it could have been left to another character to be the narrator and then had him appear as his token role later when they needed him instead of having him be like like he was going to be this huge piece of the story, and he's not actually that integral to moving the plot.
0: Yeah, he's not. Um, which is also the same thing that I kind of felt about uh, the character of Juliet, the, the little girl, when they're like, "We, yeah. who, who to help a 12-year-old other than a 12-year-old? But she never pays off in the story. Like, She's they never supposed really do to protect
1: him, and she doesn't
0: fight. Yeah. Um, and... I, I, it's it's just one of those things in the movie like they introduce her as a character for a specific reason and then they never pay her off as a character so they almost would have been better not having introduced her at all yeah. and I know why they do because she is actually an important character in the, the book that you would want to make sure is introduced but they never be, again and, and part of this is because of the the allotted time of the movie there just isn't enough time to spend with her and her character at all
1: Mm -hmm. and i didn't see any reason why they would have kept it this short either
0: yeah i don't know i don't know editing
1: Hmm. but yeah i think they introduce her as she knows all these different martial arts things and she's here to protect artemis and then she literally does nothing other than stand in the background and scream
0: Mm yeah yeah
1: so yeah, it would have been Pretty better much. to just leave her out of the movie mm-hmm. if you were gonna do her like that.
0: Well, and and the guy who plays her uncle Dom, the uh, the butler, uh, I, I I love him because he's you know he was in Game of Thrones, you know he's the the quote unquote richest man in Carth, um, and so that was fun to see him and something else. But mm-hmm. I thought it was interesting. Again, they in the book, um he he's described as being Eurasian. So very interesting choice to make him black in this, which Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily have a problem with. Um, But it could also be seen as like, you know, having a manservant be black. I mean, that could be a problem. Um, Yeah.
1: Oh, that's absolutely one of the criticisms I saw
0: of the movie. A lot of people felt Um, that way. Exactly. Now, I think, you know, if the actor himself has no problem playing the role, you know, um, that's fine to me. So, I mean, every actor has the choice to whether they want to play a role or not. So, Mm -hmm. um, I don't have an issue with that if they don't have an issue with that. Um, And I thought he was fun in the role. I like him as an actor. uh, And and Mm -hmm. I thought he was enjoyable uh, as the character. So... Um, I love when they were listing all the uh the uh things he's done to keep himself in shape and whatnot, and then they list like his being at the gold's gym in like eighty four or something, and that's like that's funny. Mm-hmm. Um But yeah, I I you know I feel like another place where a prologue really kind of wouldn't have helped all the world building was um this this place of why this man is so devoted to this this family, right? And there's there's a lot more to that, and they just never truly really go into all of that. And I think it would have helped. Um, and I don't know again why. Like you asked the question, like why is this movie so short? Uh, I don't know. Um, you don't. So it just yeah. I don't. <laughs> I, I could ask Kenneth Branagh. I've got him in speed dial. Hold on. Yeah. He's not answering. Um, mm-hmm. But. It's it's a strange choice to me. Again, like I I feel like, you know, kids movies can be 2 hours and there's no reason if you're going to make a book, uh, you know. So, um got to say, I mean, I love the the choice of, you know, having an Irish uh person like Colin Farrell play Artemis Fowl the 1st. You know, I think he's perfect casting for that, you know, and it's just fascinating to me that they because I know the second book has more to do with the search for his father. So they said they were combining books one and two mm-hmm. uh, in many ways. And so, and I know why, I mean, obviously they want Colin, uh, Colin Farrell's name. But mm-hmm. I feel like this story with his father and then the overall story with uh, that he's involved with, with the Oculus... um. I feel like that really detracts from the rest. I mean they they make all of this up for this this movie and it it kind of detracts from the very essence of what Artemis Fowl is as a story as it was written. And it and it puts a whole other layer on things at least with this first movie that I just feel like didn't need to be there because it affects the storyline for artemis the sun it specs the storyline it affects the storyline story for holly and honestly it makes so much of this movie about colin farrell's character artemis senior mm-hmm. uh with his fight against this character opal which we'll talk about in a minute but <laughs> it, all of the things around him i think impact the story negatively in the sense that they just detract from what the story should be, which is what was written, honestly. Um, and here, I think the, uh, they never truly really pay off that well because, um, yeah, his storyline there uh, with this this nemesis and, and why they're after this Oculus and stuff, just, one, it feels cliched, and two, um, it just it hurts the rest of the storylines. I think we're going to be
1: on the same page a lot.
0: I agree. I think that
1: they really could have focused more on the building of the relationship between the father and son and not had everything be about Artemis Sr. Because it does feel like it's just him stepping into his father's shoes all the time. And that it's not really Artemis Jr.'s story. That it becomes all about, well, you know, your father did this, your father did that, blah, 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 blah. And, uh, you know, it he's just kind of a pawn to further do the things that his father was doing. And so, yeah,
0: it's just a little, once again, cliche. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think, um, you know, part of what you're saying is, like, there isn't the buildup either, right? Like, you don't have the buildup for that character um, to, you know, you. so in the book they they plant the seed for the thing about the father, but that's not the overriding story. It's just a seed that's planted that he's been missing and um, it has an impact on, you know, uh, Artemis's mother and everything, but it doesn't it doesn't impact the entire structure of the rest of the story especially when it comes to the main character Artemis which the movie's called Artemis Fowl. Mm-hmm. um not about the senior it's about the kid you know and so um yeah i think you're absolutely right you know it it, it just doesn't work the way it should and then you know i love judy dench and i think she's great yes. um but it was so weird to have her be playing this commander julius root um I have no I, I don't I don't care that they they gender changed the character from the book which in the book is a man um which is fine to me um but it just kind of seemed weird that basically she's just M uh yeah as an 100%
1: Yeah it it feels like even kind of combined with the traditional story of a a police precinct where she's like yep, I'm going to yep. have your badge for this Give yep. me your badge and your gun. Uh, but, it you know, I think that it helps a little because it's Judy Dench and she's so good at playing this kind True. of role. Yeah, It made it a little more palatable. But in general, it's a boring character. I mean, her only purpose in the movie mm-hmm. version, at least, is the couple of scenes where she is getting on to people. Um Right. And you don't know how she got into that position or why she's arguing with this other guy that's working for um, Coboy. Mm-hmm. And, yep. yeah, I mean, once again, like not a lot of background information on the motivations for the character. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. No, it's absolutely true. Uh, and, you know, I, I think the way that they play it here is a little bit strange because... They're insinuating so many things, right, throughout the movie, kind of about this character and who she is and, like... The fairies don't negotiate. Yeah, (laughs) that she knows a lot of things, too, and all. But the, the problem is, I think, is that... Um, it's just too much. Like they're tr- almost tr- they're trying to insinuate too many things through all of these characters and through all of this mm-hmm. story. They're trying to cram too much in, and and this is definitely a place where it's like you have a great actress, and then you just they 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 aren't able to. F- it feels like really focus on any one thing because you're trying to have them do too much, and so then it just kind of makes it less uh less important you know um mm-hmm. and 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 it leaves you feeling like you don't know what to focus on with the character and with the judy dench as the character you know really you you that shouldn't be the issue you know it should be just like you give her this and then she runs with it right and so mm-hmm. yeah um I, and and i think um to put a topper on all of this, you know, this whole idea of, like, this lurking in the shadows is Opal Kobai, who is the the nemesis for Artemis Fowl Sr., who is, an as an elf, apparently, who is after this Oculus... Um, And he has worked, you know, uh, Artemis Fowl Sr. had worked with Holly's father to steal this Oculus and keep it out of the, this character's, you know, nefarious hands. But this is the part of the movie that absolutely does not pay off whatsoever. No, nope. because I don't know enough really about the oculus until about midway through the movie but i don't know anything about this character and they never do anything to really explain much about this this villain uh and so uh, and the fact that that they're the ones that are holding um his father and everything i know they're trying to connect that but it it really just doesn't work and it feels like a a what what it feels like is that they kind of like, at the end of the movie, they almost place these scenes later. Like in like post. It, yeah. Mm-hmm. We'll fix it like in it post. Does, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so because it just doesn't really feel connected with the rest of the story. And this is a place where, as I was talking about, because you added in Colin Farrell as the father, and you had this whole storyline that was really connected to him, and, like, that whole thing, Opal is a connection with that that completely drags away from the rest of what's going on um, and the why of the story. Um, It just becomes really muddy and messy in that sense. So, um, yeah, I think it's a real misfire on that part right there. Exactly. I actually, this was my biggest
1: complaint of the whole movie, because you have to have stakes to make the plot Mm -hmm. interesting and make you care and worry about your characters and your hero, especially. And you don't feel that here. And it's mostly because of the writing of Opal. And in the movie, I've never noticed them even mentioning that the villain had a name. I read about it after. (laughs) And they don't explain where this lair is, specifically that she's keeping the father or why she's got other people locked up in there. They briefly have in her dialogue her state, her reasons for doing everything. But there's no other information given on her upbringing, why she's so angry and wants very kind to rule the earth instead of humans. Right. So you, once again, don't really care. And feel like she's no threat at all, or even has any sympathizers. It seems like it's just her going to do all this on her own.
0: Yeah. No, absolutely. Well, and, and uh, so that whole idea of like, like because there is a there's a slightly interesting theme here because the this Oculus has this power um that is, is a massive amount of power and it, it should only be used by the wisest of elves and um it's super dangerous and it's it's meant to be the, basically something that's life-giving and instead of something that's be used selfishly and you can tell you know this character wants it for selfish purposes and selfish reasons and so Oh that's good but there's just so little development of this storyline in a way that makes much sense other than absolute clichédom like mm-hmm. it's just like um I think there that's that's just not good um and, and again this part feels like we added this into the movie later and it really muddied the waters you know like um I think it would have just been so much better if they had um, excised this part of the story and, and and found a different way to write the story, you know, um, found a different way to bring this all together. And I think they could have, um, by sticking closer, honestly, to the source material. Um, but even with that, I mean, there are ways, I believe, you know, to... Um, have written this part better. And if you wanted this character to be in the film, the best thing to have done would have been to, as we mentioned earlier, you just, if you added 30 more minutes to the Moose movie, you could have adequately worked in this storyline in a way that made much more sense to the rest of the film. You know, you, you Mm -hmm. absolutely could have done that. Um, You just hamstrung yourself by uh, not allowing us to really spend time with these these characters and the plot points and and that's the most important thing right it's like character you know we 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 need to be able to feel the characters um and what their story is and get invested with them and then you can really start developing plot right Um, but you Mm -hmm. want plot to be driven by characters and here plot is driven by plot
1: right this needs to happen, so we're going to insert it, whether it makes sense or not. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, pretty much. Um, you know, I do have to say one of the things, Christy, that I, I really, though, uh, enjoyed about the movie. I'm not always the biggest fan of Patrick Doyle as a um, composer. He's not my favorite, but I felt like his use of the um, the Irish uh, violin sounds for this Um, and, and he created, I thought a really beautiful theme. So I really enjoyed that about the movie. Um, you know, and it, and it, it was enjoyable enough for me to like, you know, I've enjoyed listening to it over the last few days um, and, and really liking it. Um, and, you know, it, it created, especially at the very end, you know, they they kind of um, play the theme over them, you know, leaving all together mm-hmm. and it's really beautiful and it kind of creates a theme that would be perfect for, uh, you know, a series of movies. Um, I don't know if that'll happen, but, you know, the music here, at least I felt like was good. The
1: music, I cannot fault at all. It was really good. I actually reminded me the theme, especially at the end, um, kind of reminded me of the ending scene of the first Jurassic Park movie and using the theme there. Maybe that was an inspiration.
0: Yeah, Yeah, that's a good thought.
1: But yeah, it just felt really natural and emotional in the places Mm -hmm. where it should, and especially there, made you hopeful. And it, it kind of made me wish that they had done some things better in the rest of the movie to make me interested yeah. in seeing another one. But yeah, the the music great was point. great.
0: That's a great point, and I, I think you're absolutely right. There are parts where the music helps you feel the feelings you're supposed to be feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, and if if the the writing had been better, uh, you truly would have been. Feeling that because everything would have been working in concert together um, Mm -hmm. and the music was doing its job, but the rest of the writing wasn't. And so, yeah, yeah, that's I mean.
1: Well, and I wondered, too, if part of the issue with the writing and maybe I'm wrong, but I noticed that uh, the two writers had worked on theater, but not as much on film. Hmm. So I'm wondering if they it's were writing more with the playwright mindset than film.
0: Mm. That's a, it's a good pull. I don't know. I mean, I, yeah. I, I had not researched the writers in that way, but I, it possibly could be. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think, you know, I think it, what, what kind of shows is that, um, you know, when you're to me, when you're adapting something from a book the you know, um, one of the things I remember when uh, with the Lord of the Rings series, you know, as they were adapting that, you know, they said, the closer we got to Tolkien, the better,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, uh, when they had a question, they would go back to Tolkien. And so many times they just realized, no, we, we just need to do it like he did because he knew what he was doing. Right. And I think, you know, the author here really knew what he was doing with the story he created. Obviously it's his story. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think the movie just tries to do too many things and, and is then brought down in many ways because of that. And so, um, yeah, I'm really interested to see where you go with your ratings. Do we want to do out of five or out of 10? Oh, let's do out of five.
1: I think we usually have been doing out of five now. So it, I will say, I'm going to give it some credit where credit is due with the things we mentioned, like the, the music and the beginning premise that it came from with the source material, I was really excited for. I think that it just, in the film in particular, there were these big points that you can't ignore were done badly and I have to add also with the CG, the special effects and everything, sometimes looked pretty bad, especially for yeah. coming out in 2020. You're it's like, come point. on. So I I don't know if that was a budget thing or what, but it was bad. And so I, I have to say for uh, out of five, I would give this a um, one and a half stars okay. out of five okay. because there was just that much that really bothered me about it and it's mm. not probably something I would go back and watch again because it
0: just yeah. feels so blah. Wow, that's crazy. Um and I I can't fault you at all for, you know, uh rating it that way. I I mean, I I absolutely can't. Um I think you know, I I initially when we finished watching the movie, I, I turned to my wife and I said, "Oh, that that was cute." And then, you know, the more I've thought about it, the more we've talked about it. Um, I So, I originally had rated it three and a half stars. Mm. I know. Uh, and then, the more I thought about it, I rated it three. Okay. And after this conversation, I'm going to give it a two and a half. Because I think it's a completely mixed bag. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of that is that I think the idea for this is fun. I think the casting, for the most part, I, you know, if you've given them more to work with, I think it would have been great. Mm-hmm. Um, I think um, all the things we talked about we, where we thought, as we were criticizing, we were finding some ways to make it better, mainly just by making the movie longer mm-hmm. so you could allow this this plot to breathe uh, and give us more time with the characters. And I think you you do that, you it could have been good. Um, you know, but yeah, this is really half like a good movie. Like, it has some of the foundations to be good, but mm-hmm. it just never can get anywhere. Um, and I think you rightly called out, and I, I was disappointed too, I did feel like they had basically, I don't know if they cut the budget for the, the CGI effects, um, but you really do want the effects in, in this kind of movie to work. And sometimes they were kind of cool. Uh, and then sometimes they just looked really cartoony.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, you know, uh, if you're going to create, trying to, are you trying to create a believable world for these characters to exist in? You don't want it to feel like a cartoon unless you're just making a cartoon. Right. So honestly, I think uh, this might have made a good, like, PG rated cartoon based off. The actual book, in the sense of going with that story. So, right. Yeah. Um, it, yeah. It, I mean, hey, you know what? I watched it on Disney Plus, which I already pay for. And so mm-hmm. it was, uh, a decently entertaining hour and a half. But the more I've thought about the movie, the less that I have liked it. Um, and then it didn't help that I read the book. So, Um, Christy, uh, I think it's time though, before we get out of here to give everybody some recommendations. Sure. I
1: actually, um, it's interesting. I got pulled back into some anime recently and it's funny because I'm not usually an anime fan at all, but, um, I've heard over and over from a bunch of friends about one in particular and it's called Attack on Titan. I don't okay, know if you've yeah. heard of it, yeah, um, uh, but actually, I think our friend Aaron Gowens watches it, but it um, I believe it's on Amazon Prime, maybe I'm not sure where we were watching it, but, um, my husband got me to check it out, and the animation is incredible. It's been actually in some exhibitions, even a friend of mine got to see it in Japan, oh wow, um, yeah, um but it it mainly the story focuses on this kid and his sibling who are going through the end of the world but it's like their village always had a protective wall around it to protect them from this evil that they didn't know exactly what it was but like their parents knew they just were trying to protect them by not giving them all the information and then they find out because everything starts up again It's basically these giants that eat people. And thankfully, because it's animation, it's not (laughs) as horrible as maybe it could have been. But it's still pretty, I would say, you know, on the like violent end. But I think that the cool thing about it is, although it's this post-apocalyptic thing with monsters, it is focusing on how the people are dealing with the issue, sort of like the same way that Walking Dead was designed. The story is not about the zombies. It's actually about the people and Mm. endurance and resilience through insurmountable odds, seemingly. And uh, for me personally, it got a little too dark at some point, so I stopped for now. But um, the story was so interesting, I'm thinking about picking it back up again.
0: Nice. Yeah, that's cool. Um, you know, I, I think, uh, honestly, if you were listening to the podcast, you probably have an idea of what I'm going to recommend. And I'm just going to recommend, instead of watching Artemis Fowl, you go read Artemis Fowl. There you go. Uh, the book was fun. Uh, and, you know, I, I was intrigued enough to uh, think about, you know, I probably will every once in a while just pick up another one of the the books and read them it's really quick obviously i mean it's it's um it's a kid's book um so uh it and it probably took me two and a half hours to read oh wow yeah that's not bad um yeah it's not it's like 160 pages you know so But uh, yeah, it was, I I enjoyed the book. And and so um, I would highly encourage anybody to check it out because it was a lot of fun. So, uh, but Christy, if anybody wants to catch up with you there online, where can everybody find you? You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and
1: TikTok at Bespin Bell. And then I do a couple of other shows aside from 602 Club. I'm also on Sabers and Spells with my friend Teresa talking about Star Wars, Harry Potter, Stranger Things, all kinds of cool stuff. And then I do a show called Planet Leia on the Fanthatrax network once a month with five other women from around the world talking about Star Wars. So I hope you'll check those out
0: awesome uh, you could find me on uh, twitter instagram letterbox Vero under the name matt rushing zero uh, two i'm also uh, here on the network doing the orb with chris jones when we get a chance we record and we talk about star trek deep space nine uh, you can also find me over on the nerd party network doing two shows one is called aggressive negotiations with john mills as we're talking about star wars every week which is really fun so hope you'll check that out and as i mentioned earlier do Owl Post with Drea Kaufman and every week we are w- walking through uh, one of the chapters of the Harry Potter series and as I mentioned we are already uh, almost done with the series now at this point even though we've got a ways to go because we are in the Deathly Hallows so I hope that you will check that out so but thank you everyone so much for joining us and y'all come back now you hear